This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, Jerusalem, capital of God, will it be your capital? What shall we look at today, this afternoon then? So to start off with, I want to look at why. Why should we change our capital and is it important? And I want to look at what. What is the reasoning as to why God's plan for earth revolves around Jerusalem? I also then want to look at how we can become part of that plan and maybe have a quick look at when it will come to pass, when Jerusalem will be God's capital. Now, to start off with, I want to spend a little bit of time outside of the Bible. If I was to just stand up here and and quote scripture to start off with, I'm sure it'd be hard for you to see some of the reasoning behind this talk. Now, obviously, as this is a Bible talk, we will end up in the Bible and when we do we will take it as a correct record of what has happened but first let's give a bit of background a bit of uh, my thinking before we got to here so why well your current capital why would you want to move it probably something you haven't really thought about before it's not a question that is asked very often And you might be quite comfortable calling London your capital. You might not see any problem with it. It might be Edinburgh, or if you're unfortunate enough, it might be Cardiff. You might like the buildings there. You might like a specific location with a nice view out over a castle somewhere. Or there might be a certain part of the culture that you quite like. And I suppose the question is, does it really matter? And I say to you, yes, it does So, if we're English, let's take it as that, we would normally associate London as our capital. And if you were on a filling in a form, you would associate, you would put down as your nationality is English. If it was Paris, it would be, you'd be French. And we automatically ally ourselves to our nationality, which then determines our capital city. So, to say we wanted Jerusalem as our capital then we would be allying ourselves to God now you would say no that's wrong to start off with because Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel and you'd be right in thinking that however I will come on to explain why I mean that in a little bit but for this talk if we are to ally ourselves with Jerusalem as our capital city we are to ally ourselves with God now Israel as a country has always been at the centre of God's plan with this earth. Now, God wants us to be his followers or his disciples. Before we get to that, I want to tell you more about what I mean by Jerusalem being God's capital and not the capital of Israel. Okay, so God's kingdom, that's God's plan ultimately with this earth. God will send back Jesus' son, to earth. Now the reason for this is God has given man free will. He can either do something that is right or he can do something that is wrong. 
And we have this back in Genesis with Adam and Eve and the story there where they're given the choice of something and they know that if they go against God's will, it is the wrong thing to do. And if they do what God asks, it is consequently the right thing to do. Now, unfortunately, man's not very good at doing the right thing. So God sent Jesus' son onto this earth to try and show man the right way to live. Jesus was for us a perfect example. Now, that was a long time ago. He was, Jesus was born at 0 AD, or near and nearabouts. And all the events that we need to live a correct way was given to us in the Bible. Now, can we turn to our first Bible reference there? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 to 17. So Timothy is one of the smaller books in the back of the New Testament. It comes with all the T's in the, in the New Testament and it's the second book. It was written by Paul to the Apostle Timothy. So chapter 3 and verses 16 to 17. So we've got here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This shows that whatever point in the Bible we turn to, we can use it to live according as God wants. It's God's guide to us on how to do things the right way and how to do good works and actions that God wants. Now, like I said before, Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't have any fault, any sin. So that means Jesus is the perfect example. And God's plan is for Jesus to return to earth again. Or oh, sorry, is to return to earth. He was here, obviously, when he was alive. He got resurrected. He went up to heaven with God and he will return to earth. Now, I'll show you where in a little bit. But this is because man, as a majority, like I said before, has chosen the wrong way to live. And unfortunately has made a mess of the world in the con in, as a consequence so Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem can we turn to Jeremiah and chapter 3 and verse 17 now this is a prophecy so Jeremiah is one of the big bigger books in the Old Testament and it's a prophecy about the end when Jesus will come back and it's just one verse there Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17 it says at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart so quite simply put there at the start they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord Jerusalem will be where Jesus comes back and it's the centre of God's kingdom on earth which he will set up now the purpose of this is to wipe out certain things on earth 
God wants to try and put, or God will, put the earth back to how it should be. He will wipe out sin. He will wipe out evil, disease, suffering, war and sadness. There's a list, a small list there. Some of the things that are wrong with this world today. Probably most of those there you'll have seen pop up in some form of news headline quite recently. And you might say, well actually, man's doing alright, he doesn't need God, he's doing quite a good job at the moment. And you might say our farming methods are improving vastly, we're getting greater productivity out of our crops. We're doing a really good job at reducing our carbon emissions. And actually, we don't need God to come back. The world will eventually sort itself out. It's done it before. I'm sure it'll be fine. And unfortunately, with these great new methods, 71 million people died in the, last, in the 20th century because of famine. Recently, with the announcement that all petrol and diesel cars will be banned by 2040, there was almost an immediate news story afterwards in the Manchester Evening News that the deadline would be far too late for the M60, which is already one of the motorways, or one of the worst motorways in Britain for emissions. And pollution and global warming, they're already man-made problems. And it's a knock-on effect of man's inventions and waste accumulating to critical levels. And also at the end there, war. Not only the direct casualties that man causes to itself, but the environmental impact, how many areas of this world are uninhabitable due to radiation pollution from weapons testing or just no-go areas because of the amount of landmines left over from civil wars. And these are just some of the reasons here why God needs to send Jesus back to this earth to sort it out. So... A verse telling us maybe that Jesus will come back. Can we turn to Acts one, and chap, uh, Acts in chapter one, and verse eleven, please? <coughs> so this is an account of Jesus ascending into heaven after he'd been uh, resurrected, after he'd been crucified. And as he ascends up, some angels appear to the disciples, which were with him at the time. And they say in verse 11 there, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will return. But then, why should we believe as the Bible? Why should we believe the Bible and do its commands? What's the benefit to us? Why, why would we want to do that? Well, I want to show you a quick proof. Uh, like I said before, we will take the Bible as a correct account. There are plenty of other evenings to discuss the subject of the Bible being accurate. But I want to give you an example of a story that we have in the Bible. And that is of a king called Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was a king in the Old Testament. He was uh, around the time of the Assyrians. And 
Hezekiah was a king and he came to the throne at the age of about 25. Now, he was king over Judah, which is the southern two tribes of the land of Israel. As we look at Israel now, it's the bit just to the left of the Dead Sea. Now, unfortunately, his father, who had the throne before him, had got Judah into a bit of a mess. Firstly, he had been under attack. Now, he'd have been under attack from the Syrians, who were a very powerful nation at the time. And he'd had to ask another, another nation to come and help him out. And he'd had to pay that nation. Unfortunately, that nation being the Assyrians, had recognised not only the weakness, but had also followed the money. So the cities of Judah were weak financially. They were also weak as an infrastructure, and they had weak a weak military as well. Now, that might sound quite familiar to some of the countries we see around us today in having a weak economy and such likes. Now, when the Tories came to power a few years ago, they had a mission to try and recover the economic well-being of Great Britain. David Cameron had that note, didn't he, from the Chancellor saying there is no more money left in the bank, which was passed to the previous Labour government. Trump, when he came to power in America, had that catchphrase, didn't he, to make America great again. And you can see him pumping money into the arms and weapons which are coming out there. Now, that's normally quite common. When leaders come to power, they have a big focus to get their country in their physical needs of the country sorted. But I want to take a look at what Hezekiah did here. So if we turn to 2 Chronicles 29... And verses 1 to 3, please. So this is the start of Hezekiah's reign. So the first three verses of 2 Chronicles and chapter 29. We have here, it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, when he was twenty-five, and he reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the son of Zerekiah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, there's not many leaders nowadays which would come to power and start worrying about the religious structure in a country. It's a very interesting political move, you could say. However, that's what Hezekiah did. And it tells us in verse 2, it was right in the sight of the Lord. It was a good thing to do. And let's see what the consequences are. So, if we move forward and go to... 2 Chronicles 32, verse 20 to 22, please. So just a bit further on in the story of Hezekiah now. And we read there that Hezekiah is now under siege. He's obviously very afraid for his people, for his country, which he's ruling after. And it says there in verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 32... 
And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet of Isaiah the son of Amos prayed and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and the captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame to face to with shame of face to his own land and when he was coming to the house of his God they that came forth of his own bowels slew him there with the sword thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib king of Assyria and from the hand of all other and guided them on every side and that's a precedent there that is set throughout the Bible in verse 20, we have Hezekiah and also Isaiah, a prophet at the time, praying and crying to heaven. They were asking God for help. And because they had done what was right in the sight of God, God helped them. God saved Hezekiah. And this is something that is repeated throughout the Bible. That if you turn to God and do what God wants, then you will be blessed. And with the opposite being true, that if you go against God, then you won't be blessed. Things will not work out favourably for you. And this is one of the reasons why I suggest that the Bible is a very good guide of what we need to follow, as it is what God wants. So, how? How? Are we going to achieve this? Achieve being part of that capital in Jerusalem? Well, to start off with, we need a relationship. We need a relationship with God. And God wants us to have that relationship with us. He doesn't want us to go away from him. He wants people to come and understand his word, the Bible. And we're told that if we turn to back to Timothy, back in the New Testament, and this time the first book of Timothy, Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 4. So in chapter 2 and verse 4 of the first epistle to Timothy, Timothy, sorry, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of God. So I should read the verse in front as well, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God wants us to come to that knowledge of God. But what does that require from us, really, physically? Well, it requires actions from us. And that's one of the key parts of being a Christadelphian. We act differently to those around us. And that is because we act how we are told to in the Bible. And this is where we get the examples to follow. And these examples show us how to live our life. They set guidelines for us. How to treat each other. How to run our ecclesias. How to act around others. And the most key example for us is Jesus. And like I said before, he was God's son. And Jesus lived a perfect life. So therefore, his example is the perfect one to follow. And if we were to totally follow his example, then the world we know today would be very different. It would uh, be a lot nicer place to live. 
and we wouldn't have all the troubles as everybody would be living a perfect life. However, unfortunately, we uh, don't attain to those standards. We, short, we fall short of them. And I just want to give you a few of these actions now just to show you why Jesus was a good example to follow. Just some of the characteristics which you would, if you were to see in somebody nowadays, you would think, yep, that, that would make them a better person if they had either more of that or they are a good person because they have got this. So the first one there, to be patient. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verses 32 to 34. So Mark being one of the gospel record of God's son, Jesus. So starting in verse 32 there. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But, sorry, I'm reading chapter 5 there. Let's try chapter 6. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing. And many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now this was an example of Jesus showing patience. In verse 31, we can read, he wanted some time with his disciples. It's very rare that Jesus actually spends time with just his disciples. He normally has a huge crowd of followers wanting to either be healed or to be taught. And they even went as far to get in a boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee. But the crowd still followed him. But Jesus' reaction there, he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. He didn't send them away in anger. When you are tired, it is probably the easiest time to be least patient. It's normally when most people are not patient. However, Jesus sets us this example to be patient. So the next characteristic is to don't be jealous. It's one of the original commandments given to Israel, and that was not to covet and how easy it for us to want something that is not ours. That it sometimes can become an obsession almost. And that what sort of impact does that have on our lives? Now, Jesus had God's power. He had the ultimate power. He could have had anything. He could have, been, he could have seen somebody walking down the street and immediately had what they had. However, he never had that, did he? He never abused that power. And we have to reflect that in our lives. That we don't be jealous. So that sometimes it can consume us. How many wars today are started? Because a country wants something else that another country has. Maybe the oil, maybe the water or some other natural resource. And Jesus never fulfilled that need did he that he had so the third characteristic there is to love and this is so key as a disciple of Christ can you turn with me to Mark 12 verses 
verse 28 to 31. So just a few pages over now. And this is an account of where the scribes and Pharisees, the religious rulers of Israel in the time of Jesus, were asking Jesus some questions. So starting in verse 28, and it says, And one of the scribes came, and having, having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? So the scribe was asking, What is the most important commandment? And Jesus answered, The first of all the commandments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. So that was the number one commandment, that the Lord God is the only God. And then in verse 30, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And then in verse 31, the second is like, namely, it's similar. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And there we have two examples. One, you are to love the Lord God. And then you shall love thy neighbour. Or, to put it in more modern terms, you should love the people around you. God shows us love. He has given us this guide to how we should live our lives. He has not left us in the dark. However, we must also show love back to form that relationship with him. However, there is one condition that God does ask us to fulfill without question. And that is baptism. And it tells us to be baptised. The Bible tells us to be baptised in Acts and chapter 2. So this, the book of Acts, if you turn there, is just after the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. And this is Peter, one of Jesus' most valued disciples, speaking. So in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, we have there in verse 38 what to do. To repent and be baptised. To repent is to admit you are doing something wrong and to come to God. And the baptism, it's a public confession of your sins. To be fully immersed in water, it is asking God for forgiveness and acknowledging the way of life you have been living is not right. However, it is also showing a desire to learn about the things of God. And by being baptised and accepting God's plan, that he will rule from Jerusalem when his kingdom comes. So looking at those three points above, to be patient, to not be jealous, to love. Imagine what sort of place the world would be if we could follow just these three points. And these are just a small example of 
the guidelines that we are given in the Bible. There are many other good examples which I'm sure if you listen to more of these talks online and here, you will hear about. And we need to try and follow that example of Jesus, the perfect example. And if we follow that, we will start to come to learn that having Jerusalem as our capital is actually what we require. But first, we need that baptism. However, I cannot stress, baptism is crucial, but it is not just a one-off commitment. It is a journey that we start on to work together with others who have been baptised as Christadelphians. So, when? I've mentioned several times that Jesus will come back to this earth and set up his, set up his kingdom with God. However, I'm not going to make up a date. We don't know. Truth be told, we are told that in Matthew 24, verse 36, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Unfortunately, we don't know. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's not very helpful, is it? That's one of the reasons why we probably came. But if we notice there, it's Jesus speaking. Even Jesus doesn't know. So why would God do this? Why would he keep it a secret from everybody, including the angels and his son? The reason being, he wants us to act now. Now, I'm going to use a short comparison. If you've ever been at school or university or college, you'd have been completing assignments or reports or maybe homework. You always know there's some sort of deadline. And I'm guilty as everybody else, how many times do you leave it till the last minute to complete your assignment? You're up to two o'clock the morning before banging out the references, trying to get it submitted. Now, God doesn't want that with us. God doesn't want us to use it as a safety net so that we know, well, we've got four months till Jesus comes back. I should probably start living a godly life now. No, that's not what God wants. He wants us to take the action now. He wants us to recognize that we need to make that commitment to him, that we need to acknowledge what we are doing is wrong. However, God has not totally left us in the dark. Even though he's not told us an exact day, he has given us some indicators, some signposts, you could say, that these events will come to happen, come to pass, or when, sorry, they will come to pass. Now, there are plenty of complex prophecies within the Bible, which will be explained, I'm sure, at another date from this, uh, from this lectern. However, I just want to look at one, and uh, that's in Luke chapter 21. If you could turn there, please, with me, Matt. Now, so that's the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and chapter twenty-one. And if we read verses twenty-five and twenty-six, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roarings men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken now it's, it's a bit poetic language here but we get some 
quite obvious pointers. Men's hearts failing them for fear in verse 26. On the nations, nations, sorry, on the earth, nations will be in anguish. It's not going to be a comfortable time. If people's hearts are failing them for fear, they are going to be scared. And that's when, well, that's one of the hints that we are given. The earth is going to be in a mess. The times that are going to come are going to be, we are going to be scared of. Now, people don't know when this will happen. However, look around us in the world now. With North Korea and Trump at loggerheads. And then you throw into the mix Putin and Russia. And then you've got China. And then suddenly, this last week, Trump announcing to the UN that Iran is also on their radar. All these nations with nuclear capability. A man knows what man can do to each other, unfortunately. And that is a scary thought. But if we look also at the weather that we're having, a few, a few, about a month ago we had a, a heat wave in the Mediterranean. It was called Lucifer, I believe. But apparently by 2050, that weather was going to be normal in the Mediterranean. That weather when people were dying of heat exhaustion will be normal. The famines, the droughts that we're experiencing, four countries in Africa now faced famine. Yemen, Somalia, South Sudan and Nigeria are also all on international watch for famine. That's whole countries having going without food. And then even more recently, what about the hurricanes that have absolutely torn the Caribbean and bits of America to shreds? And then also that have slipped under the radar slightly, Mexico. We've had some huge earthquakes. And also there's been a big earthquake just off Japan. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world today. There are lots of things going on. And with this modern age of technology, this instant news, it's online within seconds. And it's all pointing to something. There's almost that big climax which is going to happen very soon. I suggest to you now, that climax will be when Jesus returns. As we read there, men's hearts failing them for fear, there being anguish and perplexity. We won't know what's going to happen. And that's going to be one of the hints that God has given us for the return of Jesus. So in conclusion now, we've looked at our four areas, haven't we? Why? Why would we consider the Bible to be a good record of why Jerusalem is, should be our capital. Because if we do ally ourselves to God, like that first reference, one of those first stories that I told you about Hezekiah, if we do what God wants, then we will be blessed. We have got what God intends for this earth. God intends to set up his kingdom, his kingdom where there won't be evil. There won't be pain or suffering. We've also had how. How we can change it to be our capital. That example that we have with Jesus. And his perfect life that he led for us. And then we've also had when. I said we don't know 
when Jesus will come back to this earth. However, we do know it will be soon. So to answer that original question, Jesus, or sorry, Jerusalem, capital of God, will it be your capital? I don't know. It's your choice. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.